Turn with me to Mark chapter 12. Mark 12. And we are on verse 16. Mark 12, verse 16. So it's a little unusual today because we're picking up from where we left off last week. And we'll read the whole thing, but remember last week we covered what it means to give to Caesar or render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And so today, this is verse 17, we'll pick up about um, the topic, subject will be what it means to render to God the things that are God's. So because it's just one verse, it's, uh, it's a little unusual because it's somewhat of a topical topic, a topical sermon in the sense of we have one topic here, what it means to give to God what is God's. And so let's go ahead and read the, the, uh, the entire passage, though, just so everyone kind of sees where we're at. So this is verse 13. Then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. When they had come, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and care about no one, for you do not regard the person of man, but teach the way of God in truth. We talked about how they're lying. They're trying to butter them up because that's clearly not how they really feel about Jesus. These are not followers of Jesus. They think Jesus, they've already accused him of being possessed by a devil at one point. They've tried to stone him before. They're in the throes of trying to kill him. And so they're just saying this to kind of to, to, to bring down some of his guard so that he drops his guard and so that they'll, he'll answer in a way that, that, that condemns him and gets himself into trouble. And so they say this, and, you know, teacher, you're, you, we know you're sent from God. You're a good teacher. Every, you know, you, you don't, you, you just, you're, you're about pleasing God, no one else. And he says, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. So they brought it. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. They marveled at him. Remember why? Because 20 years before they had asked this question, there was a new law on the books that said every single person who is in Israel at that time has to pay a poll tax. And so this was a very controversial thing. If you're a Jewish person, especially 2,000 years ago, even today, you know, you're very prideful about where you're from. You're very prideful about your nation. And so the fact that the, these Gentile, these pagan, dirty Gentiles have come in and they've come into our country, into our territory, and now they have the audacity to make us pay money to them, it's a very inflammatory thing. But if you remember, the coin itself has a picture of Tiberius Caesar. It says um, on the one side, it says that he's son of the Most High, the son of the the Emperor Augustus, and then um, and then on the other side, the other side, it said that he is a a high priest of of uh, their their cultic deity. So. There's some issues here just by having the coin. And so we talked about what the problem is, is with, with the problem was is that they're they're looking, they're looking for someone. If you're a Pharisee, you're looking for someone to come in to help throw off the yoke of Rome. And if if you're if you're someone who's longing for the Messiah, that's exactly what you're anticipating the Messiah to do. Okay? And we've all heard the stories. You know, when, when, Je- when, when Jesus came, they expected a physical, literal king to come in with his chariots and with his weapons and to overthrow the Romans and institute his own kingdom on the ground physically, you know, something you can see tangibly, that kind of thing. We've all heard those things about Jesus. And that's, that is what they're expecting. And the Pharisees are expecting that. They're wanting that. The zealots, the revolutionaries, they're everywhere. They're wanting that. And so they're trying to catch Jesus 
by, by saying, Jesus, okay, if you say that we should not pay the tax, because remember, the Herodians are here too. The Herodians are the opposite. The Herodians, they're, 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 they're in league with the Romans. They love the Romans. They don't want the Romans to go anywhere. They love the Roman occupation. They're banking off the Roman occupation. So they're there to say, okay, if he says we should not pay the poll tax, guess what they're going to do? They're going to run to Rome and say, hey, here's a guy over here who's, who's instigating people not to pay the tax. But if he says, yes, we should pay the tax, well, his disciples and a lot of the Pharisees, the majority of the citizens then are, are Pharisees, like 90% of the people there are Pharisees. Might even be more, maybe like 95%. Most of them are Pharisees. So if he says, you know what, guys, we, we should pay the tax, then what's that going to do? Well, that's going to discredit him in the eyes of the vast majority of people there who don't like the tax. So that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to set him up. But here's what we saw. Okay, so Christ says, listen, you guys want a revolution. I get that. You want something different, okay? I understand that. We want to overthrow the enemy. The Romans are the enemy. You think, they think, and he says something like, okay, I understand that, but you also are already incriminating yourself by the very fact that you have a coin, right? So he says, give me a coin. Well, they, they, they show him a coin. Somebody have the coin. Whose inscription is it? It's Caesar's. Okay, and we talked last week how all those Caesar is not under the church, he is under God. And so he's not, he's not free to do whatever he wants. He's not autonomous, um, and he is held accountable by God for the actions that he, that he, that he implements and the, the rules and the, the laws and things like that. But today, I want to look at the second part, give to God what is God's. Okay, give to God what is God's. Because, and really it's the same thing. Because, okay, again, go back to what they're looking for. They're looking for the Messiah to implement a revolution. Last week, we ended by saying, okay, what kind of revolution is long-lasting? Well, it's at the spiritual level. A revolution that works on the people's hearts and minds and, 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 and behaviors and, and ideology and the way they think. Okay, that's going to be much more, that's going to be much more enduring. And so when you, when you look at what Christ came to do, okay, so there's, there's a few ways to tackle this. We're going to tackle it in this way. Okay, I have, I have a few points here, but number one is this, okay? The way that Christ ushers in a revolution is, first of all, it is through the gospel. All right, It is through the gospel. It's not to say that Christ has nothing to do with the state. We saw last week that he does have a lot to do with the state. And the sense of the state is not autonomous. Okay, But it is to say, listen, it is to say, if you take, let's say, any land, if you take any nation, if you take any place in the, in the universe, and, and you just try to go into this place and say, okay, you are required to implement, um, whether you call it the moral law, whether you call it natural law, which is expressed in the moral law. I mean, however you phrase it, all right? If you go into a place and you're expecting that to happen, it's not going to happen. And if it does happen, it's only going to last a few generations at best, okay? If you're just going in by force and you're saying you have to do this or else. So the way Christ does this is, and we've seen this across the world, the very fact, I mean, our, this, this, this church is an example. Any church in America is an example because you didn't have churches 300 years ago in America. You didn't have churches 1,000 years ago in Northern Europe, but now you do. You have, and and what, do you, what comes with that? Well, the change of culture comes with that. So the gospel goes forth, and then when the gospel goes forth, there's a change of culture that takes place. It comes about. So it comes back to this, okay? If you want a revolution, you want things to change, well, here's the first thing that happens. It's, it's called the Great Commission, okay? And if you look at Matthew 28, 
And you'll, you'll, we'll see why this is about giving to God what is God's. Because this is the heart of it. This is where it starts. Okay, So Matthew 28, and we all know the Great Commission. But notice what he says. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So he, everything in the stars, everything in the sky, this is about the, the, the lordship of Christ over all things, the authority that he has. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Disciple the nations. He's not talking about just sharing the gospel, going around and sharing the gospel. He's talking about something that's more enduring than that because that's what discipleship is. Make disciples, how? baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So wherever you go in the universe, at whatever time period, okay, Christ is with us. But it happens through these churches and through people being discipled in the instructions of Christ. That's where the revolution starts. Okay, We talked about that last week. You want revolution in a city? Well, it starts by having revolution in your, in your heart first. Seeing who the true God is first. And then from that, what do I do? Well, then I go back to my family. I go back to my place of work or wherever. And I start to share what I'm learning. I start to share the gospel. And then what happens by God's grace, other people, there's a revolution taking place in their hearts. And pretty soon my home has changed. Pretty soon my place of work has changed. And then from there, you have churches being planted. And then the people in the churches, they're going into their communities. And what's happening, the community starting to look different, right? That's revolution. All right, revolution, that's in the sense of, you know, and I know there's there's many ways to look at the word revolution. I'm using that word in the sense of that's what they're expecting. That's what they're wanting. And Christ is not denying that that's going to happen. But he is saying it's not going to happen by not paying taxes. That's not the way this works. It's not going to happen by you guys taking your, your, your chariots and your horses and what are they, camels maybe, donkeys, and going in and just starting to overthrow the Romans. That's not going to happen. So we have to pull back a little bit and ask ourselves this, where's our priority? And I love this because, so we have these great promises in Scripture, and they're especially in the prophets about what the gospel is going to do, what the gospel is going to affect, how the gospel is going to change things. We know, um, I'll, give you, I'll give you one example, for unto us a child is born, we all know this, right? We, this is the Christmas. This is a great passage on, about Christmas. I think we preached it last year. Unto us a, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And here it is: of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Right? There will be no end to this. So it's going to happen. But there's a process here. There will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Okay, uh, Psalm 2, there's another reference there. But here's the point, all right? Here's the point. He's looking at these guys. Now, here's the, here's the irony here. Okay, You have the Pharisees and you have the Herodians coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, we have a problem here. We have an enemy in our gates in Jerusalem named Rome. Rome is the enemy. Now think of the audacity of this, right? Here are the very people who are trying, as they, as they lie to Jesus, they are in the process of trying to murder Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one. They are the they, Think of the audacity of this. Jesus, the Romans are the bad guys, and we need you to make sure that these guys, that we're not paying taxes. And, and so the irony is this. Who are the bad guys here? Who are the bad guys in this story? Now, Rome, don't get me wrong, Rome, they're heathens and they're bad, yes. But who are the bad guys? The guys standing in front of Jesus are the bad guys. Y'all see that? 
So he's looking at them and he's saying, wait a minute. Okay, wait, wait. You're worried about Caesar, but have you given to God what is God's? And the answer for them would be absolutely not. These guys are trying to destroy God's Messiah. So what's going on here? Priorities. Their priorities are all backwards. See that? They're all, they're all disarranged. Look, look, look at this. Okay, and I'll give you an example. Let's, let's, let's look at our own culture. You see this in our own culture all the time. It's amazing. Okay? Think of it this way. You have today conservatives, very, 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 and rightfully so, right? Very upset about the direction of the country. Very upset about liberal politics, and rightfully so. We get it. Very upset about, you know, Joe Biden and everybody, right? Every, and, and, and you look at it and you're like, okay, look, absolutely. These are very disconcerting things. These are very problematic things. They're wicked. Okay, liberal politics, liberal policies, they're wicked. But here's, here's, the, here's the irony, okay? How many of these so-called conservatives, when you actually look at what's going on, okay, are they, are they leading their family spiritually? Are they, are, you know, are they, do they love Christ? Now, granted, they probably all say they, but do they really love Christ? We were in Lubbock, and um, Greg Abbott, came through Lubbock. This is, I guess, two years ago. And uh, maybe a year and a half ago. Comes through Lubbock, and Sunday morning, Sunday morning, right? Sunday morning, he gets everybody that works for him, because we had guys at our church over there in Lubbock who are part of Greg Abbott's campaign staff or whatever. He comes through Lubbock Sunday morning, and he gets all of these guys, and he wants to have a rally on Sunday, Sunday at like 2 o'clock. So Sunday morning, what do they do? Well, they spend all morning canvassing the neighborhoods. And you're thinking, okay, wait a minute, man. <laughs> All right, look, and and of course, you know, you had these conversations with these with these with these guys that are part of this campaign staff, and you think, wait a minute, okay. We're, we're upset about the direction of the culture and the direction of the country and, and all the sin and all the evil and the perversity, but but you know, Sunday morning, which is God's God's day, this is God's day, this is the Sabbath, this is the, the, the Lord's day. This is the day that we celebrate Christ being raised from the dead. Christians have celebrated this for two thousand years. What do we do? We devote it to something else. Namely, in this instance, politics, right? So we think, okay, what is our Savior here? Well, our Savior here is politics, Greg Abbott. You see, it's a priority thing. You look at conservatives. You look at the Buffalo, the Buffalo Horn Shaman guy, right? He's some new age. I mean, you're like, yeah, but he's a, he's a patriot. Well, praise God for in common grace, right? But at the same time, you can't expect a culture to change unless your first objective is seeking God and His righteousness. See, that's the point here. Okay, Conservative politics, yes, they, they, they're good, but what are we trying to conserve here? What's our, what's our standard here? What, what's the deal? You know, you just last week, you see, uh, or I think it was like two days ago, you know, the gay guys, they, they I don't know, uh, Reuben, Dave Reuben, something like that, you know. They take a mother... I mean, this is so wicked. They take a mother, they make some kind of contractual arrangement with the mother. We're going to pay you all of this money if, 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 you, be, if you get impregnated, and then, and then when you have this baby, we'll take the baby. And I mean, it's like, okay, these are conservatives. So what are we trying to conserve here? That's the question. And so my point is, this is very similar to the Pharisees, right? We look at the liberals as the bad guys when the bad guys are actually in our own camp. 
Why? Because they're not, they're not worshiping Christ. They're not honoring Christ. So when a nation comes under judgment, why does a nation come under judgment? Because they're in rebellion against Christ. Right? That's why. A nation doesn't come under judgment. Yes, because, you know, you have LGBTQ, you have, you have mothers murdering their babies, everything else. Yes, but what it, that's, that's the, those are the symptoms of a deeper disease. And the deeper disease is people are not honoring Christ in the nation, in the conservative party. And so you can, you can hang your American flag, you can, you can vote for Donald Trump all day long, but if you don't love Christ, guess what? The culture's not going to change. The culture you're so concerned about is not going to change. Not going to change. That's what, that's what the Pharisees are seeing here. Well, you know, Jesus, if only you stopped those dirty Romans. And Jesus is like, guys, hello. <laughs> You're trying to murder the Messiah. And people today who are outside of Christ, that's exactly, I mean, they're no, they're, they're no better off. You have Paula White as a spiritual advisor. You have people in divine services reading the Constitution of the United States. That's idolatry. You, you, have, you have, I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff. You know, you have... I mean, look, we can go on and on with examples of this, right? But we blame the liberals, <laughs> and the problem's not the liberals. Liberals are acting like liberals. The problem is so-called conservatives, and this is not, you know, don't, I mean, here's the thing. How do you change cultures? How, how does this actually happen? You want revolution. You want things to change, right? How does it happen? It's through Christ. So this gets us down to this, okay? Giving to God what is God's. That's what he tells them. Give to God what is God's. All right? So I have a few things here. You know, Vody Bauckham said it this way. I think he said it just wonderfully. He says, look, if you teach your kid how to hit a ball, but you haven't taught him about Christ, you have not done your duty as a parent. Think of that, right? The same goes with whatever it is, okay? If, if, you've, if you've taught your kid to be an expert or whoever, on political theory, but your kid doesn't know Christ or your, your, the people around you don't know about Christ and we're just pumping them with political theory, guess what? We, we, the priorities are off. Okay, How do we change cultures? This culture, any culture, catechizing children, helping good churches, be good Christians at work. But here's what it comes down to. Okay, Give God to what, what is God's. Now, there's two things here, first of all. Okay, what is God's? Give to God what is God's. What is God's? And we know the answer. I mean, is everything's God's, right? Everything's God's. It's all His. Uh, by the very fact that we are creatures, we're creatures. That means that we are we are made by somebody, right? So because we're made by God, God, we we owe God everything. I think I mentioned to you a really great way to approach Muslims or anybody that is. Um, works based in their, in their view of salvation, if you go to them and you say, okay, well, wait a minute. So you think doing good somehow makes you deserving of heaven. Well, that the very fact that you and I are creatures, we are required to do good anyways, whether we get something out of that or not. We're creatures. That's our duty. That's, our, that's, that's the objective that we have as creatures. So that's the first thing. Because we're creatures... We deserve, or God deserves everything. We, we, we need to give everything to God. Now, here's the other thing, though. The other, especially for Christians, because look, that's, that's more, I mean, that's for everybody. You can be, you can be, I mean, you can be in the belly of China right now, and you're still made by God. You're made in His image, and so you are required, you're obligated to give God everything, your worship, your time, your everything, okay? But especially for Christians, here's the thing for Christians. Look at, um, 
Look at Philippians 2. But Philippians 2 is this, okay? So you have this response. Paul says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, etc. You see this in Ephesians 2. I'm going to turn to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, etc., etc. Okay, here's the question that's astonishing. It's not so much what should we give to God, but the question is this. Okay, just think about this. What has God given to us? Okay, what has God given to us? And so if you look at it, yes, you can look at the aspect of creation. You can see, okay, God's given me a ground to walk on. He's given me air to breathe. He's given me family. He's given me, you know, health. He's given me water. He's, all these things, right? They all come from God, and you're, you're, you say, wow, what a, what a God. But in the gospel, you have something even more profound in the sense of, okay, here I am, cut off from God, at war with God, hostile in mind towards God, angry at God, trying to suppress the truth about God, trying to go my own way like sheep. I'm doing whatever I want to do according to my own standard. And that's the problem. Okay, going back to the conservatives, that is the issue you see there, right? It's not that they're these just maniacal, this maniacal hatred towards Christ, but the, the issue is I'm going to do things my way. Conservatives, liberals, whoever, anybody outside of Christ, that's the problem, right? You say, okay, I'm going to do things according to my standard, according to how I feel, according to what I want to do. I, I'm not going to have any regard for God. Okay, But here's the thing. When we're talking about the gospel, what the gospel does is when it changes us, don't we now have an appreciation, a thankfulness, gratitude for God for what he's done? We're over here in the desert, spiritually speaking. We're cut off from God. We have no hope in this world. God comes in. He saves us. He transfers, transfers us from the, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Okay, We're transferred now, and as a response to being transferred now, what happens? Our entire lives are changed. We're new creations. We're new creatures. And so that is why out of a response to what Christ has given us in the gospel, especially for God's people, now it's a matter of, okay, now what does God de uh, deserve? He deserved everything anyways. But now when you realize, okay, what has Christ given for us? You can almost say, and I was thinking of this, what, is it right to say Christ gave, gave everything for us? And I, don't, I don't, you know, I don't know. <laughs> but think about what he gave. He gave, he gave up where he was in heaven. He gave up this worship of angels, at least in heaven physically. We know angels still worshiped him when he was on earth. But he, he, he left this abode of peace to come to earth. And that's the point of Philippians 2, to be a bondservant and then to go to the cross and to die for us. And here's this God, right? Here's a God who does not... We don't deserve any good from this God. We live in a fallen world. We come in as sinners. We're born in sin, and then we, we continue to sin even more and more and more and more. Okay? God does not owe us anything. This is the amazing thing. What does God owe us? Even, before, even creation itself, what does God owe anybody? What did God owe Adam before the fall when Adam was impeccable? He was sinless. Nothing. 
And yet God in His mercy bestows upon Adam this bounty of fruit, this bounty, these trees and this glorious lush garden. And Adam's over here and he's lonely. And so what does God do? He takes a rib and makes a, a woman for Adam. Everything that Adam desired or even didn't know he desired, he, he, didn't even, he didn't even know he had these desires. And God answered, satisfied these desires that he had. That's before the fall, right? But here then, after the fall, now, after Adam sins against God, now what does Adam deserve? Death, right? Wrath, judgment, the anger of God, the curse of God. That's what Adam deserves. And that's what you and I deserve when we come into this world. But we come into this world, we find that that's not true. We find there's a lot of glorious things on this earth. There's a lot of good in this, you know, not in people necessarily, apart from God's grace. But on this earth, the fact, you know, you hear all the time that, well, this must be hell. And you're thinking, no, of course it's not hell. We have things on this earth that we don't deserve. We have a sunny day. Those kinds of examples that you've heard a thousand times. But the point is, is this, okay? We don't deserve anything from God. And yet, look what God does for us. What does he do? He actually gives us himself. That's what he does. He creates and then he gives us himself. And this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us. For God so loved the world that, here's the, here's the word, that he gave, right? For God so loved the world. How much did he love the world? He loved the world so much. And the word so much there, that's a phrase that references how wicked humanity is. Wicked, the, the, the evil of humanity. Look how much God loved us so much that despite being wicked, despite being evil, despite being dark. He loves us so much. This is how much he gave. He gave his son, his only begotten son, his unique son. He gave his son. Okay? Now, that's what God has given to us. So here's what Christ is saying. Now, think how ironic this is. Okay? He says this, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, or give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and give to God the things that are God's. And he is not telling us to do anything that he himself has not done or is in the process of doing. Think of that. Christ has given himself to us and for us in a way that we can never repay. We can give our entire, I mean, think, let's, let's just imagine, hypothetically, you could be sinless from this time forth for the rest of your life in every word, thought, and deed, and you were completely dialed in, honed in, focused on giving all of your life to God, to the glory of God, everything. Never a sinful motive, never a sinful habit, never a sinful thought, never a sinful word comes out of your mouth. Everything is done for the complete glorification of God. Okay? And you're thinking, man, I am completely just giving myself to God. Well, that, would, that is nothing compared to what God has given to us. And so what Christ is saying is, listen, what is he saying to give? Okay, turn to Romans chapter 12. You'll see the place to go here. Romans chapter 12. What are we to give to God? And why? So you've seen some of the why, but look at Romans 12. Okay, now look at this. Okay, so, and in fact, it's nice because this is the place Ro, um, Logan just read today. And you remember Paul is, is, is just out of his mind almost because of the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, that God has made a way to make, to shut everyone up in, in, in wickedness so that he can come and offer a savior to everyone who's under wickedness. Chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, I beseech you, that's the New King James, or urge. ESV, what's it say? Appeal. 
I appeal, I urge, I beseech you, therefore. Okay, so after he gets done saying how glorious God is, he says, therefore, I beseech you, I urge, I appeal, I, I am pleading with you, please. Brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Okay, now here's what he's saying. Look, we look at this and we see body there, and automatically we go to the idea of lust, things that sin that you do with your body. That's true, that's in there. But when he's talking about this, when he says body here, this is more all encompassing than just body. He's talking about you, your person, you who you are. So think about, we mentioned this Saturday at the men's meeting sacrifices in the Old Testament, okay? Because that's their frame of reference here. What is a sacrifice in the Old Testament? It's an animal that you bring to the altar, and what happens to that animal? Well, that animal is set apart for a very specific, consecrated use, set apart, and then what happens to the animal? It's put on this altar, and it is completely disintegrated. Or, if not, eventually, there's enough left over where you eat it. But eventually that thing is gone, right? That thing is completely devoted to the one purpose that it had, namely to offer up some kind of aroma or some kind of something to God, right? Paul is saying, listen, that is who we are. Our bodies, yes, but that includes our mind, that includes our thoughts, that includes our words. So everything, in light of the gospel, in light of what God has done for us, what is God's? You are God's. You, your person, you yourself are now a call to be a living sacrifice. Set apart, completely consecrated for God. Not just your body, but that, in, that included, your mind, everything. That's what he's saying here. That everything is to be a, a, a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So that's the first thing, right? So now, and what flows from that is everything else. I mean, think of it, right? If you are a sacrifice for God, okay, that would mean that now all of a sudden, okay, your time, your time is whose time? It's God's time, right? That any time that you have on earth, and, and I mentioned this in here before, but the Puritans are so good on this because they look at time and they realize they would talk about this. I mean, they had, they wrote entire, you know, the Puritans, man, they wrote like 500 pages of 500 page treatises on time. My role as a Christian when it comes to time, just on that one topic. And they're talking about everything about me. Like if the fact that I just drew in a breath. That is God's breath. The fact that I exhale, that's God's breath that I'm exhaling, inhaling, exhaling. God has given me this time on earth for Him, not for me. That's my time, right? My, my money. How I operate with my money. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9. And I think this is, you know, Paul mentions this. Paul mentions, okay, well, you know, this, uh, he, they, they go and they, 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 they supply spiritual food, spiritual meat to these saints in Corinth. And so he, and I'm, I'm bringing this in because of God, not so much because, you know, as, as in the sense of ministers, although that, that's in the church life. But he says this, he says, okay, look at verse 6.
All right, verse 6, sorry. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because it's, it's like the same thing with, with, with uh, it's hard to, Think about what um, Eric was mentioning during announcements with Sasha in, in, in Grand Rapids. You know, and okay, so you have a brother over here who's struggling, and that church needs money. That church needs help to get them. And that church, by the way, they they started in July, and they're they're doing very well in Grand Rapids, man. It would, I mean, it's almost like you plant a church and put the name Reformed in it in Grand Rapids. You're going to have like 500 people there with you know not even trying almost. But uh, but this is a this is a good church. They're good guys. But what happened was is he's in a spot where. Um, he was promised a severance package from his old denomination. They didn't give that to him, so he's basically in a in a, in a tight spot. So they're trying to plant a church, and at the same time, um, he himself is in a spot. But here's the thing, right? You have those times that come up in people's life. That could be there. That could be here. You have people who are in need, who are who are in certain conditions, right? And so his point is, is okay, my money, if I have whatever God has given me, right, it's not mine. That's the point. It's not mine. My, my goods, my objects, my money, my time, these things are not mine. They're God's. My gifts are not mine. They're God's. They come from God. What do we have that we have not received, Paul asks, right? Everything that we have is a gift that God has given us. And so in light of what Christ has given us in the gospel, that's how we're to view things, how we're to operate. Give to God what is God's, namely everything, right? And it's not to say we had a good question on Saturday. It's like, I think Caleb asked, you know, it's like, okay, well, does this mean, you know, if, 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 if all my time is God's, maybe I should move out and be a monk. That way I can devote all of my time to God. And that's a really, but the thing is, is, okay, well, when I say, when we're talking about giving these things to God, we're not saying just use them for yourself. When it comes to your talents, who do you use your gifts and your talents for? Other people, when it comes to your time, who should you use your time for? What does Christ say? To love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, okay, my time, my, my efforts, my money, my, my talents, these things, they don't just belong to me. They don't belong to me at all. So they belong to God. And as a response, how do I use these things for other people? Your vocation. Think about the vocation that you give you, that God is. That's a gift from God, right? Absolutely. The, the callings that God has given each one of us, we all have callings. Every one of us, have, we have roles, we have vocations, we have callings. Male, female, I don't care how old you are either, right? We all have vocations, callings, things that God has called us to do. These are things from God, and so we use these for Him. We devote ourselves to these things for Him, including, that includes this nation. You know, sometimes I feel like, and this, this is for me as well, but, you know, just being good citizens in the place. Paul talks about in Acts that God in his providence has placed you where he's placed you for a reason. He's placed you in his providence in whatever location you live, you know, like whatever city you live in, whatever area. That is the area that God in his providence has placed you in. And so even there, to be leavened, to be salt in that area, to be involved in politics, to be involved in the culture, to be involved in the, the school board meetings, those kinds of things. And it all goes back to, well, I don't have time for that, right? Well, what are, what are we spending our time on? What are we, I mean, surely there's some, some fat on the meat somewhere that you can trim off. And, and the thing is, is look, you can't do everything. Don't, get, don't hear me say that, right? I know you can't, we can't do everything. But the point is, is when you honestly evaluate what our lives are, are to be, 
There should be change. There should be areas where we look at it honestly and, and say, you know what, I need to I, I need to repent here. I need I, there needs to be some change in this area. How I'm using this or how I'm devoting myself here or my lack of devotion thereof, right? There needs to be this. But here's the beauty of the gospel, right? And this is this is we'll close with this because when Christ is talking about giving to God what is God's, and we look at it, and there should, there should be. Now he's telling this to guys that are not, they are not giving to God what is God's, and that's his point. Right? If you're not following Jesus Christ, you have, you, have, you have neglected this command right here. You have neglected to do that. And guess what? If you haven't got that right, nothing else can follow. Everything else is going to be out of joint. Okay? It's like the cornerstone. If the cornerstone is not where it needs to be, the rest of the house, the rest of that building is not going to work out. And that's, the, that's, kind of, that's what happens in our culture today. You know, you have, I mean, how many patriots are in hell today? But by golly, they loved America, right? And you're like, well, praise God. We Really, we need that kind of zeal. But if you don't get the first part right, then America, the problem with America is the fact that it's under God's curse. So how do we change that? Well, the first thing is getting the priority of turning to Christ. Getting your family in line, you know, leading your family as men, leading your family spiritually. That kind of stuff. <laughs> I mean, that's where it starts. And then from there, everything else kind of falls into place. You see that? And if it doesn't, at least, you know, you're, 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 call, you're doing what God has called you to do. So, now if you get that part in place, and you're like, man, I, okay, I, I love the Lord. I've, I've turned to the Lord. God has saved me. I'm, I'm right with Christ. Okay? Well, the second part is, is as you go through things and you evaluate your life, and we, 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 we reflect and we examine things, and we, we realize, okay, Look at all the things that God has called me to be a steward over. All these things. Even, you know, my health, time, money, gifts, vocation, all these things. Children, my family. I mean, there's a lot there, right? My friends, my neighborhood, my city. Okay, now we're looking at it and we're saying, okay, how can I be good stewards of what God has given me? And when we say good stewards, it's okay, in light, of, in light of the fact that everything here is God's, everything I have is God's, how can I use this for him? I think I told you the story about John Wesley. This guy's making a killing, man. Um, well, he should, put it this way. He, John Wesley, if you, I mean, if you, yes, you know, theology has problems, but the thing is, is the guy was a, he was a go-getter, and things were happening, and they were bringing in a lot of money. But he died broke. And, and people were stunned. They're like, well, how does this guy die broke? It's because everything he was getting, he was turning around and pumping it out. Why? Because he's like, you know, like Christ says, it, it, why, why store up treasures on earth where moths and rust come in and thieves come in and they destroy all these? So he's looking at that. He's taking that very seriously. I mean, that guy's taking it seriously, right? He's just pumping it out. God will take care of me. And I'm not saying to not, I'm not saying to be reckless to the extent of you're not being a good steward, right? There's wisdom in this, but that's the thing. I mean, this guy, that's how we gotta live. Where we're actually looking at everything in our life and saying, you know what? It's all yours, God, and you're gonna take care of me, so I'm all in. I'm all in. What areas in our life are we not all in? That's the question. Have we not given all to God? And 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 from there, again, I mean, the glorious thing about the gospel is that look, this is not a well, you know, you must be lost or whatever. This is saying, look, as God's people, as a response to God's grace to us, let's give back to Him everything.
It's his anyways. And you know what? He's a sovereign God, and he loves us, and he'll take care of us. So we can, we can sell out for him knowing that he's got us. It's going to be okay. All right? And to the extent that we hold back and don't sell out and, don't sell out and go all in, it's, it's like we're shooting ourselves in the foot. I mean, let's pray. Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for his example. We thank you for the example that Christ set, that, that Christ was, he was all in for you, that he gave himself entirely to your cause, to your glory, whether it was his time, his very person, even unto death, that he was a, a, a living example of what it is to, to give all to the glory of God. And we thank you that we have rest in him because of his example, because of his life, because that his righteousness has been transferred to us, imputed to us, and so we praise you today for him. But Lord, we also want to live like him. We want to have this, this abandon that Christ had. And Lord, our flesh is so strong and so weak. And our fists are so tight. And we, we, we clench. And, and it's very hard for us to, to give ourselves entirely to you. And so Lord, I pray that you would give us grace to do this. Lord, all of us, there's no doubt, Lord, we have areas in our life where we have not committed these things to you. Lord, please identify those things and give us the grace and the faith to give those things to you. We thank you that you're a God who cares for us, you take care of us. Lord, let us be people that walk not by sight but by faith. Lord, be with this country, this nation. Be with those who sincerely uh, want to see good done in this land but don't know you. Lord, have mercy on them. Turn their hearts to you, O Lord. We pray that you would give us grace to have our priorities correct in the right place. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so twice a year or so, I think it's very important.